Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Welcome to uh, Palm Sunday, man. It is such an honor to have all of you with us. Uh, And uh, we're super excited. If this is your first time here to Creekwood, uh, let's give it up for all of our first-time guests. Come on. We love it when we have first-time guests here. If this is your first time to Creekwood Church, man, if you'll take a moment and fill out, there's a red connection card on the seat back in front of you. If you'll fill that out, we actually have a special gift we want to give you. We want to buy you lunch at Oliver's, which is right across the street from the hospital over there. But if you'll take that to our team at the Information Center after service, man, we'd love to be able to meet you and answer any questions that you have about Creekwood. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I do have a little bit of news um, that I really want you to pray about. As Just as a church family, um, you know, Pastor Keith is our worship pastor and his wife, Rochelle. Um, Rochelle's father uh, passed away on Friday. He had a sudden heart attack, and, and so uh, that's the news to, to a lot of people. And so I'm just letting you know that they're obviously there with the family, and uh, Pastor Stephen and Thalissa and my wife Elise uh, just now uh, left to go down to Houston to be with them. So just this week, would you just pray for Rochelle, pray for um, her mom and just um, her children and Keith, and just pray that, that God's peace would rest on that family uh, during this time. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, it just means a lot to their family, I know. Um, we are excited. Um, how many of you know what next weekend is? It's Easter. Man, we're so excited about Easter. Um, you hear us blow out these numbers. Like we have over 2,500 people that we are expecting to be at, at one of our, at our six Easter services next week. We have an uh, Easter service on Good Friday. We have two serv- Easter services on that Saturday, and we have three on Easter Sunday. I'm telling you that to say, um, the only way we can spread out that crowd is to ticket on our website. So we are now ticketing for our Easter services. So if you have not got on our website and reserved a free ticket, you need to go on and do that. Um, that'll, that'll, that'll help us spread all those services out, all those people out. Um, but if you are one of those people that you're like, you know, I have to go to Easter Sunday on Easter Sunday. Like I have to go to that service on Sunday. Like I got to wear my pastels and I got to wear my hat. Okay, if that's you, that's fine. You can go to church on Sunday. But we have so many guests that come on that Sunday, those three services that if you could help us out, like go to reserve your ticket for Friday or one of the two Saturday services that'll save as many seats for on Sunday as possible. So we'd appreciate you doing that. Plus, in every one of our six Easter services, we have a petting zoo. And one of my favorite guys, uh, his name is Troy the Alpaca. He's going to be there. And uh, I took a picture with him last. Yeah, we, we kissed. It was awesome. Um, but he's going to be here. We had, we had Larry the Llama one year. Now we got Troy the Alpaca. I don't know why his name's not Al the Alpaca. But Troy, anyway, um, we're excited about next week. Check this out. Um, if, you, if you invite someone to a regular church service during a year, 20% of the chance they'll say yes. Do you know if you invite someone at Easter, the chance goes up, the the rate for yes goes up to 84%. That's why we say invite someone to Easter. Last year we saw 207 people accept Christ. So I just, I wanna say thank you. By the way, there are people that are still coming in. If if you have any chairs that are are left between you and your neighbor away from the aisles, we'd appreciate you doing that to, to seat those that are still coming in. Thank you for doing that. Try to prevent overflow as much as possible. Um, I'm going to talk about scars today. How many of you have some scars? All right. I want you to show your neighbor your scar. No, I don't. I don't. Some of you are like, oh, well, this one. Okay, no. 
I don't want you to show that one. Okay, um, but uh, I've got, here's the definition of a scar before I tell you about some of my scars. Definition of a scar is a mark left after a wound has healed. It's a mark that's been left after a wound is healed. And so I have several scars. I've categorized my car, scars into stupid scars, um, scary scars, and memorable scars. So my stupid scar was when I hurt myself uh, in high school, I was dunking a basketball on the, on the playground and I went up to dunk the basketball and the basketball you know, fell off the back of the rim and I brought my whole momentum, brought me forward. I held onto the rim and my whole body was parallel to the ground and uh, fell down, broke my wrist, had a cast on my wrist. Uh, still, I don't know if you can see it now, but it's still broken. It flares up all the time. I'm not really telling you because I want to tell you about that scar, but just so that you knew that I, I could dunk at one point in my life. Man, I just wanted you to hear that. One of your pastors could dunk. Okay, so, but anyway, um, I had a scary scar. Um, I was, when I was 11 years old, uh, everyone has this kind of friend. I had a friend, his name was Chuck Bullcong. You may not have had a friend called Chuck Bullcong, but you had a friend like Chuck Bullcong because he had all the cool toys. And so at 11 years old, I was able to go over his house and he had like nunchucks and Chinese, you know, all these like stars and stuff. And he had, he had the cool stuff and he had like motorcycles and we would go ride motorcycles. My parents are here, but they can't hear this right now. I would go ride motorcycles in Euless, Texas, you know, along the highway on 183 there. Anyway. Um, and they didn't know about it. It was awesome. It was awesome by the way. Yeah. Um, and so, and then they, they, they had Nintendo before everyone else had Nintendo. And so I fell in love with Mario brothers and I fell in love with a game you've never heard of. It's called excite bike. And it was fabulous. Okay, Excite Bike, man. To this day, it still beats everything. So anyway, but but my friend, he, he we had a pillow fight, and we had eleven kids over a bunch of eleven year olds with eleven kids is a bad idea. And, and we spent the night at his house, and they, they wanted to, we wanted to do a pillow fight before we went to bed, but we decided to do it in the dark. And so um, they counted to three, and they turned the lights out. And I remember this kid was about to hit me in the face. So one two, three. I duck to avoid being hit. When I do, I hit my head on the corner of a metal table right between my eyes. And I still think about what, I mean, I scream about, it. I'm like, I'm like, oh, what if I had gone like an inch over, right? You know, in my eye. Anyway, um, that was a scary scar. And then my most memorable uh, scar was when I was in college, um, I worked at a store called Military Depot and there was a store, a store right next to it that I managed also it was called the Knife Depot. You know where this is going. I mean, there were so many scars out of this place. And this one guy walks in, only one guy in the whole story walks in, and he says, I want to see that samurai sword. So I pull the samurai. If you know anything about a samurai sword, it comes out of the box extremely sharp. And I begin to pull the samurai sword out of the sheath. And as I'm doing it, you notice my middle finger's up a little bit too high? Because as I'm doing it, my middle finger was in the way. And I slide my middle, my, my, this sword across my middle finger all the way down to the bone. Would you guys like to see my middle? No, you you don't want to see my middle finger. That's pastor jokes, Um, pastor jokes. But I sliced all the way through my, my middle finger, all the way down to the bone. And it was so sharp. I didn't even feel it. And I was bleeding profusely. And the guy goes, you're bleeding. And go, oh, wow. And uh, I'm going to go fix this. I'll be back. I went, wrapped it, came out bleeding through. And he goes, he go, I go, man, I'm going to have to close this door, man. I'm going to have to go to the doctor. He said, hold on. Picks up his cell phone. He said, hey, would you get me a room ready? I'm, I'm coming in. I'm thinking, who is this guy? Gets in his car. He said, come on, I'm going I'm, I'm to take you to my hospital. I said, what? Comes to find out he is the leading heart surgeon in all of College Station area. 
we go straight into his hospital. And there, he's like, what's up? Naming everybody. Hey. He's like, I got this kid. Uh, I went to buy a samurai sword. And then go in straight past the ER and stitches me up. And I'm like, this, that's how you get cut, though. Yes, the favor of God. You're going to get cut. You're going to get cut with a heart surgeon. That's how it is. And that's, that was my memorable scar. But we all have scars. We all have these scars that, that, that we could talk about all of our different scars. But um, there's this one real popular story uh, in the Bible. It's out of Luke chapter 24 where there were two disciples. Jesus had just been crucified. He was crucified on Good Friday. And there was these two disciples that were, man, they were followers of Christ. Jesus was going to save them from Roman rule. And they were so excited until he died. And now they're leaving Jerusalem because it's all over. They're going back home and they're frustrated and they're talking together on this. It's a seven mile road. It's called the road to Emmaus. It's this long seven mile road where they're talking about their frustrations about how Jesus was dead. And, but it was actually on Easter. He had just resurrected. He was alive and they didn't know it. And Jesus comes and pops along in their conversation. He's like, what's up guys? And he's talking to them. They don't recognize that it's actually Jesus. And they're walking and talking. And he's like, they, they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus is like, that guy sounds awesome. You know, and, and they're going to this road to Emmaus. They're on the seven mile road and, and they never recognize him. And Jesus, they finally get to the end of the seven miles and they get to Emmaus and, and Jesus begins to walk on and they say, why don't you stop and eat with us? And so Jesus is like, sure. And so then he breaks bread and all of a sudden they recognize him and then he disappears. And so I wanna read that scripture, Luke 24, 30 through 31 says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. What? He just spent seven miles They were telling him about Jesus. Jesus was telling them all about himself. They didn't recognize Jesus on this seven miles. All of a sudden, he breaks some bread. By the way, why is Jesus breaking bread in someone else's house? By the way, that's what Jesus will do. He will never, he's a gentleman. He will never just march into your house. You will have to invite him into your heart. But when you invite Jesus into your heart, he will take over and he will become the host in your house. And he will break bread in your house and he will give it to you. It's crazy what Jesus does. But here's what he does. You have to understand what a Jewish man would have done in that time period. He wouldn't have broken bread and he wouldn't have given it to him like this. What it says is he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it. And a Jewish man in that custom would have given it to him like this. What do you think they saw in Jesus? It was his scar. They recognized Jesus not in his explanation of himself, but they recognized Jesus in his scars. Sometimes in life, an explanation is not enough. We have to experience some things. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced some things because we can recognize people in their scars. We recognize Jesus in his scars. So today on this Palm Sunday, what I want to do is I want to look again at his scars because if we see his scars, we'll recognize him. Sometimes we read our Bibles we read our Bible apps, okay? We read, we come into, the, into church and we hear about Christ. We hear about it. We hear the explanation. But sometimes you gotta see his scars because when you see his scars, you actually see Jesus. He was with you all along on the seven mile road, but you had no idea. You didn't even recognize him until you saw the scars. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was brought, that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. 
I want you to hear me today tell you this. Every single one of the scars that Jesus suffered on that Good Friday was for a purpose. Jesus didn't just, so many times people have this kind of uh, terrible view of, of Christ, that, that kind of an incomplete complete view of God. They think the whole purpose of the cross was just to make heaven. Like if, I, if Jesus came, came, came and died on the cross to save me from my sins so I can make heaven, it's almost like an insurance policy. If I can just have God, if I can just go to church, if I just pray enough, if I just do the minimal, if I go to 21 days of prayer and fasting, okay, then God will be, you know, you know, I'll make heaven. And it's just like this insurance policy. God always intended for more than just for you to make heaven. He has a plan and a purpose for your life and every single one of his scars had a purpose. And so I'll, what I wanna do today is I wanna go through the progression of the events of that Good Friday. It was Good Friday for us, but it wasn't Good Friday for Jesus. Um, and I, I wanna go through each one of the events and I wanna look at each one of his scars because I want you to see and recognize him in his scars. The first one, write down the word whip, the whip. Um, Jesus was tied to a post and was whipped with a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails was a special whip that the Roman soldiers would make. And there was nine individual strands of leather strands. And each one of the nine would have three leather strands and they would braid in each one of them. They would braid bone and stone and sharp objects like metal into these sharp objects, into this uh, braids. And so there were nine individual ones of those. And, and you see this kind of X movement in some of the old movies. Some of the more recent movies are better, but these kind of like weak little like, da, 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 beating Jesus. That's not what happened. They, it was a scourging. They would actually, what they would do is they would, they would dip the cat of nine tails in water. And then with two hands, they would whip it over Jesus's back. And then with two hands, they would pull down and what happened is all, those, all the stuff that was on the, the, the metal and all that would grip flesh and bone and anything it could grip, and then it would rip it, all right? So that happened 39 times. There was a law that said that you couldn't, it was illegal to, lips, to whip someone more than 39 times. Jesus got the maximum beating. And so it, it was crazy what, how brutal it was, um, what they would do is they, would, they, they whipped him 13 times across his left trapezius muscle. And then they whipped him 13 times across his right trapezius muscle. And the whole goal was to systematically remove all the muscle from the bone. And then they would go 13 times down the middle of his back and they would rip down. And that was to expose his spine. And it was the, one of the most brutal forms of punishment. And I want you to know that the stripes that Jesus bore on his back was for a purpose. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Write this down. The whip represents your healing. The whip represents your healing in your physical body. And the question is, are you sure God still heals today? Like, are you sure he still heals today? Because I know he heals in scripture. I read that in scripture, but can he heal your body uh, today? And um, I want you to know that we serve in the God of the universe is the great physician and he still heals today. I need you to hear me say that. He still has the ability to heal today. I know that for two very important reasons. One, the scripture says that God does not change. He doesn't change 
He cannot contradict himself. He does not change. The second reason that's so powerful, especially on this Easter, the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead actually dwells in you. It actually lives in you. And so you can be healed. God wants to heal your physical body. Um, But if I'm honest with you, I've struggled with this one because I've had some physical things go on. My wife's had some physical things go on. You've had some physical things go on. And we, all of us collectively, don't understand God's timing for things. And we don't understand why he heals certain people and why he chooses to not heal certain people, when he chooses to heal certain people. And that can be frustrating to us. But what I've learned is that God is not a Rubik's Cube. If I'll just get it right, if I'll line everything up, if I'll just go to 21 days of prayer and fasting, if I'll just... If I'll just uh, take communion at the right time, if I'll just pray this prayer every morning, then God will heal me. I, I have never seen him work like that. What I have seen in scriptures, if you've seen the, the woman with the issue of blood, it's a perfect example. This woman was sick for years. And she thought, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus's garment, then I'll be healed. But there were all these people that were touching Jesus at the same time. And she touches his, the hem of his garment. She gets in and she reaches him. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, everyone. They're all touching you, Jesus. I don't understand this. And, she's, and he's like, no, no, no. Someone touched me. I felt it go. Like the virtue left me and went into some. She goes, I touched you. He said, I know. And it's because of your faith that you're healed. I want you to know that there is a direct correlation between your faith and God's healing in your life. But I really feel like people need to hear something today. I uh, wrote this down in bold in my notes because it's important. Um, God has a purpose for the timing of your healing. God has a purpose for the timing of your healing. And our job isn't to heal anybody, but our job is to believe and have faith in the one that can heal. So I wanna encourage you to, to, to know that God didn't just die on the cross to save you from your sins, but he, he took the whip and the scourging on his back. Those stripes represent healing in your physical body. Um, then they took him to a place called the Praetorium. The Praetorium was a private locker room for the Roman soldiers. This was private. This wasn't public knowledge. Like the, the public didn't see this. But most scholars believe that there were over 100 soldiers that were in the praetorium that day on that Good Friday before he was ever crucified. This was not normal. This was not customary for someone who's to be crucified. This was just brutal. They were just being brutal to Jesus. And they took him and they beat him to a pulp. These men privately took him in their locker room, put blindfolds around him, and began to beat him after he was whipped 39 times. By the way, most people died in the scourging, the whipping, because of a loss of blood. So you can imagine he's being hit in the face repeatedly by these men. They're turning him around, dizzy, hitting him in the face. They're pulling his hair off his beard. They took this rod and began to strike him, the Bible says, in sensitive parts of his body. All these things were happening, and they would mock him, and they would say things like, if you're the Messiah, prophesy which one of us just hit you. And he said nothing as he was beat mercilessly. The Bible says he was beaten so bad, his relatives couldn't even recognize him. He was marred, Isaiah said, he was marred beyond recognition. Exodus 12, 6 says that the, tells us that the lamb, this was the original instructions for the Passover. When Jesus gave Passover to the Israelites, he said, you're, gonna, you're to do a Passover, you're to take a lamb. And he said, the lamb 
wasn't just to be sacrificed. The Bible uses the word slaughtered. Jesus was the Passover lamb and he was slaughtered. But you need to understand that because Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save you from your sins. He died on the cross, yes, to save you from your sins, yes. But he has a benefit and a purpose in the whipping, in these things I'm telling you about. There's a purpose in every single one of his scars and he was slaughtered. And of all the times in human history that he could have come and paid for sins, God chose that time in human history because capital punishment was at its absolute worst. You can imagine the conversation between God the Father and Jesus going, when in the time of history, when should I go? When should I go? I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. (laughs) I want to go in 2017 because I might get like lethal injection or something. But I don't want to go there because, man, do you see what they do, Dad? I mean, do you see what they do? And he's like, you have to go there because I want them to know how much you love them. And so it, he was actually, he was slaughtered. And then to further mock him, they shoved a crown of thorns two inch long because he was the king of the Jews. And so they would take these crowns of thorns in the praetorium and they would, they would made it into a crown and they, they shoved it down on his head. If you ever seen a crown of thorns, if you ever seen a thorn bush, it, it, the kind they were using wasn't just long, they were thick and they would shove it down into Jesus's head and it wasn't just blood loss that he had. It, was, it went down through the skull and so he was actually penetrating into his brain. He had blood into his brain so it wasn't just physical, it was mental anguish he was dealing with then. And I want you to understand the crown, write this down, the crown represents peace. The crown of thorns represents peace in your life. That crown represents everything that goes on in your mind. Because so many people that are, Jesus down the cross saving from my sins, that are going to heaven are walking around full of anxiety, walking around full of stress, walking around full of depression, walking around full of fear. And I want you to, I want you to understand something. He bore the crown on his head for your peace. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I hope that what I'm about to tell you really helps you in your, in your life that Satan's number one control mechanism is fear. But God's number one control mechanism in your life is peace. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He hasn't given us a spirit. The fear is actually a spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a, power, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And um, the only type of fear that you should have is the fear of the Lord. The Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Then he'll also say, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Well, what is it? You want me to fear not? Or you want me to fear the Lord? What do you want me to do? I was so confused about that years ago. And then I, when I took my, took my family to Mexico, we were, on, we were on the beach and we were, what do you do on the beach? You go snorkeling because you're in Mexico. You can't do that in Mansfield. So you go snorkeling. And so my kids, I said, we're going snorkeling. We had our gear. We brought it all. And we get out there and Landon gets to the edge of the water. And he goes, I don't want to go. I said, why? He goes, because I'm going to get eaten by a shark. And I said, we're not in Mansfield. We're in Mexico. We're going snorkeling. And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to get eaten by a shark. And I said, I don't care if you get eaten by a shark. We're going out <laughs> snorkeling. We're in Mexico. And so we get out. And he said, I'm still not going. I said, you're going. 
I'm not going. Are we going? And so we get out. He said, the only way I'll go is if I get on a boogie board. So I, he laid on a boogie board and he held my hand while we went snorkeling, right? We're on the ground. He's up sunbathing on top. Like he's not going to get eaten by a shark on the top of the water. You look more like a seal now. Okay. Like you're visible. And I was like, and he, I was like if we're, we're all going to get eaten then. But anyway, we go out and we're, we're snorkeling. All of a sudden he's holding my hand. The deeper we get out in the water, the deeper, the, the, the more of a tighter grip he has on my hand tighter and tighter and tighter. And the Holy Spirit says, that's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. In other words, the fear of the Lord isn't, isn't God is so big that he looks down on you. He can do whatever he wants to you. And we're scared of that God. That's not the fear of the Lord. God says, fear not, but fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is I'm petrified to ever be out of the presence of God. And the deeper the waters I get in my life, the tighter I have to hold on to my father's hands. That is the fear of the Lord. He has not given you a spirit of fear, though. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So he wants to give you peace in your life. Jesus then carries his cross to a place called Golgotha, which means skull. And um, this is where he took the nails. He was laid down on a cross. And I, I brought some nails today. Uh, I wanted you to kind of see, I, I like put these nails even on my hand and it actually just hurts to even put these point of these nails on my hand. And um, the nails back in that day, the hand was considered from the elbow to the ends of the fingertips. And so they actually would say that you, they shook hands a lot of times like this because they were shaking hands, but it was really this whole hand. And I say that to say, it's a little uncertain as to whether they put the nails in the hand along the palm or in the wrist. Okay, like it was either way, the Bible says that no bones were broken. So that's why a lot of people think they put it in the wrist between those two bones along the, the wrist. The whole point of them nailing him like that, though, is they wanted him to hang with his own, his own weight, just with enough ability to be able to breathe because you really couldn't breathe. And when they took that cross and they brought it upright and sunk it into the ground, what happened actually, because you've been whipped 39 times and you have no muscles holding your neck to your shoulder anymore, what happens is your arms come out of socket and you're hung with your weight and your arms come out of socket and your lungs collapse. And then they would nail your feet up. You've seen it with a bend. They actually kept a bend intentionally because they, what they want you to be able to do, by the way, think of putting a nail on the top of your feet. I mean, unbelievable. But what they want you to do is you would push up, <gasps> take a breath. Come back down. Need a breath again. (gasps) Come back down. Jesus endured that for six hours. Jesus was a man's man. A lot of people think he was weak. They portray him as a weak man. He was a man's man that endured that. The whole point of that was most people died on the cross of suffocation. Um, And, but... And so what they would do if they were feeling humane is they would act, I don't know how I would, I don't know how they were feeling humane, but if they were, they would put a board behind their legs and they would break your legs. They would snap your legs so that you couldn't push up anymore and you just died of suffocation. The Bible said that no bones were going to be broken on his body, so they didn't do that to Jesus. Um, But I want you to know your hands represent everything that you do. Your feet represents everywhere that you go. Your, the nails in your hands represent, and his hands represent all the evil things that you've done and all the evil things that you've gone, places you've gone to. So write this one down. This, is, this scar is important. The nails 
represent forgiveness. It represents forgiveness in your life. And here's the deal is I know tons of people who have asked for forgiveness, who have Jesus in their heart. They're going to heaven, um, but they're still carrying around guilt and shame for something that's happened. You're still carrying around anger because you've forgiven someone, but the way we forgive is different than the way God forgives because God, here's the way God forgives. Hebrews 8.12, never forget this verse. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When Jesus, when God forgives you, he actually remembers your sins no more. There's complete coverage. He remembers your sins no more. That's not how we forgive. We're like, oh, I forgive you. Now, I'm gonna bring it back up in about two days. And it's partial coverage. Like the other day, Landon comes in, my, in the house and he's laying on the, on the couch and I said, you stink. And I'm like, you smell so bad. And I said, you need to go take a shower. And he's like, oh no, I'm fine. He goes, I just put degree for men deodorant on and Steph Curry says I get 48 hours of coverage. I'm like, <laughs> you stink. But that's the way we are with forgiveness. We're like, ah, it's, we're just covering up the stink. It's, all, it's still there. It's still there. I'm gonna reuse it later. God says he remembers the sin no more. And the reason you hear so many sermons on forgiveness is because we've all been wounded. We've all been wounded. How many of you know there's a difference between a wound and a scar? There's a big time difference between a wound and a scar. And I'm so glad Jesus died on the cross I'm so glad Jesus three days later rose from the dead and defeated the, the grave. But you know what I'm really glad about? I'm really glad he came back with some scars. Because he didn't have to. He, he rose from the dead. He didn't have to come back with some scars. He could have been completely healed. But he, I believe he did it for a purpose because he did not show his disciples his wounds. He showed them his scars. And I want you to know today that it's okay to have some scars in your life. It's okay to have some scars. Have you ever seen an MMA fighter? You ever seen a UFC fighter? Okay, play with me. You ever seen a UFC fighter? Yeah, okay, I'm gonna show you a picture of what we call cauliflower ear, okay? Um, it's nasty. I mean, when the first time you see an MMA fighter with cauliflower ear, it's, it looks so nasty. I mean, it, you know, cauliflower isn't even tasty to me. Okay. So like it's, it's gross all the way around, but, but to those guys, it's a, like, it's a point of pride because you get cauliflower ear because you've been on the mat. Your ears were not meant to wrestle. Okay. So you, these guys get on the mat and they, they break their ears basically. And all this ear cartilage builds back up and creates these scars. And so I'm just telling you that if it's scar tissue that happens and builds up, up and, and, but it's a point of pride for them because it shows you that they've been in a fight. Let me tell you something. If you ever see someone, they could be well-dressed and they got cauliflower ear. That's a bad dude. Do not mess with that dude because he will jack you up. She will jack you up. I'm telling you like, because they know what they're doing. That tells you that scar says I've been in a fight and someone took their best shot at me and I'm still here. So when you have some scars in your life, you have to understand what that tells the world is, look, the enemy took his best shot on me. God still took, has my back and I'm still here. You have to understand that's what the scar, that's what the purpose of the scars is. It's okay to have some scars, but it's not okay to walk around with open wounds in your life. There's a difference between a scar and a wound. And when you walk around in guilt and shame and anger, it's like walking around with an open wound. Holy Spirit said this to me two years ago, Brad, I don't want you to walk around as a, as, as a wounded pastor. I don't want you to walk around as a wounded husband. I don't want you to walk around as a wounded dad because it's easy to walk around in that, 
guilt and that shame and to be wounded constantly, but it's okay to have some scars. So what you have to do, here's what you have to do. You have to take the the nails, man. They They were put on Jesus and you have to take the nails and you have to learn in your life. These were nailed to Jesus and Jesus even left them on the cross. When he died and he was rose from the grave, he didn't have open wounds anymore. He had some scars and we have to understand that, that some of you, you've been holding on to the nails and I know it hurts and I know it wasn't your fault, but sometime in your life you have to say, I'm going to release the nails. You have to release the nails because if you don't, it will always be an open wound in your, in your life. And you'll always walk around wounded, but it's okay to have some scars. Here's what I've learned, though, that my scar still hurts. Your scar is going to hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt anymore. If I touch this, my middle finger, do you guys want to see my middle finger? If I touch it, I have a pain in my right pinky toe. I don't know why. I mean, it like goes all the way down, but it still hurts. To have a scar doesn't mean it doesn't hurt anymore. It means you got to release the offense. And I got to move on. And the last thing that happened was that they speared him under the rib cage and they punctured his heart. They wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. And I'm telling you that spear was for a purpose. Write this down. The spear represents purpose. It represents purpose in your life. Um, Jesus, when they punctured his heart, they didn't expect what actually happened, what was gonna happen. Instead of blood coming out, a mixture of blood and water came out, which means medical experts will tell you he didn't die from suffocation. He didn't die from a wound. He didn't die from um, the, the actual crucifixion. He died from a broken heart. His heart actually ruptured. And if you know, what, when it's, the Bible says when Jesus actually died, everything went dark. I believe that's when the weight of the sins of the world came on Jesus all at once. He actually died from a broken heart, a ruptured heart. But Jesus, I believe that spear that ruptured his heart, that created that scar, it represents purpose in your life. So many people are walking around without purpose. I think it's actually the, the most sad for a Christian to be walking around without purpose. It's so sad. And I believe... Um, there's so many people, I've, I've wrote down four different areas. I think a lot of people walk around in dead areas in their life that they need resurrection. And I feel like God wanted me to share these four areas. Maybe you're broken. You have a broken relationship because of an infidelity. And no matter how sorry you are, you can't get that person back. Maybe your finances are broken. Um, maybe you've made some really bad financial decisions. So maybe you went and bought that car on a 30-year note. Can you even do that? Some of you are like, can you do that? I mean, sweet. Uh, that's like a $4 a month deal. It's by the Bentley. That's a bad decision, guys. It's 30% interest. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but, but some of you made bad decisions. I've made some terrible business decisions, bad financial decisions. You feel broken. Maybe you've had a broken body. Maybe you've had some health issues and it's caused years of pain and you felt like you've missed maybe your family. Maybe, maybe you've had some, a health issue and the health issue is one thing, but it's been going on so long that you feel like you've missed out on family and you've missed out on work. And there's been some things and you're like, God, I need this restored, but it's too late. I can't get it back. So it's broken in your life. You've, had bro- a broken, uh, you've been broken by addiction maybe and you've hurt people along the path of addiction. And so you feel lonely. 
Um, but here's what I really feel like the Holy Spirit's been saying to me all week, probably said it in 12 different ways. I finally wrote it down in this way. I think this is how he wants me to say it to you. It is in your greatest pain that God will shape your greatest purpose. It's in your greatest pain that he'll shape your greatest purpose. My experience is that all of us want out of the pain. We want to be removed from the situation that's causing pain in our lives. And so I want the healing right now. God, you said through your whip, through the stripes, you can heal me. Your word, you do not change. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So I need healing in my life. There's a reason I told you there's a purpose in the timing of God's healing. God has a timing for your healing. Most of the time we want the healing now because we think if God, if you'll just pull us out of the situation right now, this problem will be solved. Some of you right now, you just want God to drop you $50,000 because if he would just drop you $50,000, all would be well, right? Some of you, you have medical payments, right? You have medical bills and you're like, God, if you would just make them feel sorry for me, if you just let them release that debt, all right, I'll feel better. And you want the pain resolved now. Some of you, 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 you look at your spouse and you go, you're not the same person. I don't know who you are, okay? And if God, if you just fix them, right? That's what we want. We want God to fix the situation. But that's not usually how God works. I'm not saying he can't. He can say, you are healed, walk away. You're healed because of your faith, you're healed. What he normally, how he normally works is he, he doesn't remove you from the pain, but what he does is he restores you in the middle of it. And oh, by the way, while you're walking along the seven-mile road to Emmaus, he was with you all along. You just didn't know it. He's been with you all along. And by the way, some of you are on mile one, and you got a few more miles to go. Some of you are on mile three. Some of you are on mile five. Some of you are on mile six. And, and God is going, if you just go one more mile, I'll break the bread and give it to you. You need that again. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? If so many times we're right there and God wants to restore, he wants to heal, he's been with you all along and he wants to break the bread and give it to you. But he's gonna do it in the middle of the pain. He's not gonna take you out of the pain. God has a purpose for your life. And um, it's a couple weeks ago, Landon um, my easy story tell, Landon. Um, Landon was in a baseball game, and Landon was pitching. There was a man on third, and Landon comes, and he's, he's left-handed, so I got to throw like a girl. Okay, so uh, see, how would you do that? Okay, so he's throwing, and, he, and there's a man on third, and so he, he overthrows the catcher. By the way, you don't overthrow the catcher when there's a man on third. Um, but he overthrows the catcher and he crashes home. The catcher throws the ball. Landon goes to catch the ball, put the tag on the guy that's sliding home and the guy slides into his right elbow. And Landon's like, yeah! I mean, just like, like a dead squirrel or like it's about to die. Just, ah. And I'm like, it's your arm. It's not your leg. Like, what is it? You know, and he's crying and all this stuff. And Pastor Stephen and Delissa had come to finally visit and watch him play. And I'm like, please, Lord, let him hit a home run. And he does this, you know, and I'm like, really? And so I'm like, and I'm trying to not be that parent. I'm like, I'm, get up. You know, I'm like, looking at him, like, get up. You know, and he's like, crying and stuff. And Stephen and Delissa are over there. Oh, sweet baby. I go, 
does this all the time. You know, he does this all the time. It makes me so mad. And, and, and so he gets over and he won't even swing the bat. And I'm like, well, that's unusual because he probably we're pitching bad and he wants off the mound. This is his way of getting that out, you know, but he didn't even swing, swing the bat. And I'm like, well, maybe he's hurt. So, but I was like, I told coach, I said, you know, I'd still play him. I mean, I would still play the kid. I, he cries wolf all the time and I think we should play him. And, and coach is like, nah, I just feel like we need to. I said, okay. So we go home that night. We wake up, in, you know, at, at night or in the morning, and he's like, ah, oh, still can't move my elbow. And his whole point is he doesn't want to go to school, okay? And so he's like, can't move. I was like, well, number one, you're left-handed, okay? So you don't even write with your right hand. You write with your left hand. And secondly, you don't think out of your right elbow. So we're going to school, all right? So, so we're going to school, and then at 11 o'clock in the morning, he gets, I get a phone call from the nurse. Mr. Levins, um, Landon is here. His elbow hurts. And I said, I know it hurts but he's staying at school. And so I, I, I just, I said, just smile at him and say, please go back to class. Your dad is not coming to pick you up. <laughs> and, and so um, he goes back to class. I pick him up and he's like, it really hurts. And so I called Dr. Monty Anderson and I said, hey, Landon's elbow's hurt. And he's like, bring him in, man. Let's do an x-ray on his elbow. And we get in and do an x-ray, x-ray on that hurt elbow, his right elbow. And I want to show you a picture of it that dude broke his elbow. And I'm like, oh, sweet baby, I'm so sorry. You've actually, you had to go to school with a broken elbow? I'm so sorry. And I said, man, this, I just feel terrible. I, I feel bad everything I said and all this stuff. And, and, then, and then Monty goes, to be sure, let's go ahead and take a, an x-ray of the good elbow, his left elbow. And so we did. And his left elbow has... I said, wait, are they both broken? Either they're both broken or, and he goes, oh, no, 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 he didn't break it. He hit a growth plate. And I said, and I, Landon, I told Landon, I said, you didn't break your elbow. I said, this is good news. Do you know within 30 minutes of getting home, he was completely moving his elbows, completely fine, dunking on people. I mean, eight foot goal, completely fine. I'm like, you do cry wolf. You're such a baby. I didn't say that exactly, but it was so true. I know him. Okay. Let him play. All right. He's fine. But what the Holy Spirit said to me is so many times it looks broken. So many times it feels broken, but all it is, is a growth plate in your life. You've hit a growth plate in your life. Some of you, you're on mile one and it feels like it hurts. It even looks like it hurts. Some of you though, you're getting to mile five. You're getting to mile six. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus is going, I'm here all along. I know you don't notice it. You've just hit a growth plate in your life. It looks broken. It feels broken. But I want you to know God has a plan and a purpose for your situation. And he's going to grow you through it. Monty actually said, it's not just a growth plate. That's a big growth plate, which means he's going to have a big arm. I said, you know he is. He's 11s. <laughs> True story. Okay, but really, honestly, I want you to know that every single one of Jesus's scars had a purpose, right? But the power in that is that really every single one of your scars has a purpose. Every one of your scars has a purpose. And I know tons of Christians that are Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins and they're going to heaven, but they're living with bad health, with no peace in their life. They're forgiven that they don't even know it and walking around in shame and guilt. 
and they have no purpose in their life. Those are scars, man. They're for a reason. He wants to give you. He wants to give you health. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you purpose. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come up if you want to receive prayer at the end of the service. And if you need any one of those four things, man, don't walk out of here with an open wound. It's okay to walk out of here with some scars, but don't walk out of here with an open wound. And I want to end this message with saying this. We're walking into... I think the most important weekend of, of our year, knowing that it's Easter and what it means for us, that he res- Jesus resurrected from the grave. That's what differentiates, by the way, him from every other religion. So our God is alive. And I want you to know that we always talk about inviting. And I, I think that word can be a little funny. Sometimes we say, you need to invite people to Easter because we're gonna have over 2,500 people. If you hear that and you go, man, it's just about growing the church, you've misinterpreted. But the word really isn't invite. The word is actually share. That's that's the better word is we share because Jesus is known in the Bible as the lamb. Actually, the, the most descriptive word that's used over and over again, the most of any other terms to describe Jesus is the lamb. He's actually called the lamb more than any other words. Exodus 12, four says, if any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. And so what actually happened in those days in Passover is they, that lamb was too big for one household. And so they would actually invite the neighbors over to the household to share the lamb. And I'm telling you at Creekwood, we are a church that will be about sharing the lamb. If there's one person that does not have the lamb, we're gonna share the lamb. So I wanna challenge you this week. I wanna challenge you to invite someone to share the lamb. That's what this is all about. And this most, I'll end with this scripture. I think this is so powerful. Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? God saves, we share. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for every person that calls Creekwood Church home. God, you're gonna do a big thing next week. I know you are. I know you're gonna bring people in here. They're gonna come to know you maybe for the first time. But I pray for those people right now, God, the people we're gonna invite, they're gonna come into this house and they're gonna hear the gospel for the first time. I pray for them right now that their eyes and their ears would be open. And I pray for boldness over every person here, God, that we wouldn't just invite someone, that we'd understand this is about sharing the lamb and we have a responsibility to share the lamb. So I pray in the name of Jesus over every person here. I also pray for this message today that it would pierce hearts, God, that um, I don't know what, if, what's needed in every soul today. I don't know if health is needed in their bodies, peace, forgiveness, purpose, but I pray over health over everybody and peace over every situation, forgiveness of every sin here and purpose over every life. We love you and in, 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 in everything you're doing in our life, God. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd love to pray with you. And I'm not gonna ask you to do anything funny or weird, but if if that's you and you know you've never accepted Christ, you say, Brad, would you pray for me? 
that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Brad, I, I wanna accept Christ right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not gonna do anything weird. Thank you. Just raise your hand. Thank you. And just pray this prayer in your heart and just say, God, I, I need a savior. I need you, Jesus. God, you did die on the cross to save me from my sins, but you gave me all these other benefits as well. I pray, God, that you would make this day a cornerstone day in my life, that from this day forward, I, I give you my whole life, not just parts of it, not just bits of it, but my entire life. I pray that, you, God, you would honor every aspect of their life from now on, God. Lord, we thank you for this service. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would play, just place a blessing on every family here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.